0: Hi, this is Markley. Thanks for tuning in to the Season 4 premiere of Low Profile. I'm really excited for this season for several reasons. First of all, it's the first time that all the interviews have been recorded in advance, and the lineup is spectacular. It's really something else. Secondly, I had a team of guest hosts chip in and conduct interviews on their own, so that's going to add a lot of variety to the overall feel of the show. And thirdly, the show is now being broadcast on KAOS 89.3 in Olympia, Washington, Fridays at 4 p.m. Finally, an illustrator named Taylor W. Rushing is contributing portraits of each featured artist this season. He's a professional master of ink, and you can find prints of his work and learn about his services by visiting taylorwrushing.com. On today's episode, I'm speaking with the singer, composer, and multimedia artist, Brianna Morella. Anna grew up around Seattle, Washington, and found herself immersed in its independent music scene while she was still in high school. Her creative work has taken her to lots of places, sonically and geographically. When we spoke in October 2020, she had recently moved to Brooklyn.
1: Yeah, I was I was living in Oakland for like two years before that.
0: Right, yeah, and you were there at uh, Mills College? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, so we we just heard a clip of um a performance that you did uh as a duo um mm. pouring water into a bowl, and oh yeah, yeah, it's creating That's... these really ethereal, beautiful sounds, and um mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could talk about what's going on there,
1: yeah, sure. Um, yeah, the pieces that I'm doing in that performance are actually some things I wrote at Mills. And the summer after my first year, my partner, Joel, who's in that video with me, um, we went on tour together and Joel kind of ended up like being a part of um, kind of just like improvising and being a part of the set. And it was really fun to play with him. It's fun to you know, obviously play music with other people and with him, especially. But, um, yeah, so for the piece with the water droplets, um, essentially there's just a contact mic at the bottom of the bowl. Mm -hmm. And then I am running this program called Maxim SP and I'm just doing kind of a simple audio detection, like trigger. So when it detects a drop of water, it's playing back some synthesis Sequence that I had programmed.
0: Well, it sounds amazing, and it's really hypnotic to watch as well.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the work I was working on at Mills was really meant for live performance and to be in the live sphere. And I'm glad that you still got something out of it from watching the video, because to me, it feels like it just benefits from seeing it live. But it's all—it's cool that you could also gather some of that magic from the uh, you know recorded thing too
0: oh yeah so you're definitely working more in that realm these days um, of the sort of like visual performance art with uh, you know that's involved with creating the music that you make Um,
1: I mean I have a pretty broad practice I'm working on like three different albums right now And one of them is kind of more like pop slash, you know, hazy rock (laughs) vibe. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's like my more experimental stuff too. But I don't know. I just, I don't think I ever want to feel forced to just do one thing. Like I just like doing lots of different things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It definitely shows. You have an EP that you put out in high school called Stuck in a Rhythm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and um did you
1: see who plays on that album
0: no who's on there
1: ah you gotta do your research um well (laughs) um do you know um mr carl blau
0: of course absolutely yeah
1: yeah he's playing guitar and some bass on that ep because um i had a voice teacher in high school because i was like a really brutally shy um teen preteen and i started getting voice lessons when i was 12 i think kind of even just as as a way to feel more you know like empowered and try to get more outgoing and i you know i really wanted to perform like i'd always wanted to but i had a lot of stage fright and working with my teacher johanna kunyan um she yeah was just a really amazing mentor to me as a teen and at the time she was dating this guy, Steve Moore, who you probably also know of.
0: Yeah. So far I know everybody you've mentioned.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh Yeah, so then she also had this friend named Eric Eagle who I never like really knew much about what he was up to. I think he played in that band, Jesse Sykes in the Suite Hereafter. There's like a Seattle band.
0: I remember seeing that on Flyers, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I think he, like, played drums in that band. Um, He was, like, a drummer and kind of, like, maybe hobbyist audio engineer. And so my my voice teacher was, like, hey, do you want to record my student's, like, EP for her senior project? And he was, like, cool, yeah. And um, she had also asked Steve and Carl if they wanted to play on it. And they were, like, yeah, totally. And then they also got another friend of theirs named Paris Paris Hurley, to play some violin on it.
0: Did you know those guys when uh, when they got brought into your project?
1: I had met Steve before, just mm-hmm. like at Johanna's place, and then he was always so sweet to me. And um, I think I had met Carl at a show of Johanna's, because I think at the time they like played a couple of shows. So I remember seeing Carl play like when I was in high school. Um, like i also remember seeing like your heartbreaks and just like kind of like peering into this you know slightly older scene of like northwest music and i was really inspired and loved it and yeah loved carl's music and was super flattered that he wanted to be a part of the ep and yeah i think his he and steve really add so much to that ep i mean like i i like could barely play guitar and piano and like but i'd written these songs you know and was like really excited about them and it was really it was my first time being in a recording experience and seeing how like overdubs and collaborating with other people and like seeing what other people brought to a session it was just yeah it was amazing
0: <laughs> yeah its it's a really nice little collection especially for so so how old are you if you don't mind me asking i'm 30 and did you just have a birthday? I know it's you have a birthday this month. My birthday's on Sunday. Sunday. Cool. Well, happy birthday in advance. Thanks. It's cool how the uh, sort of the Pacific Northwest music scene, uh, the generations tend to overlap. It's mm-hmm. something I've noticed and, uh, you know, experienced firsthand as well. And it's yeah. uh, really cool that, you know, folks kind of pass the torch to us in some ways and uh like serve as mentors it even now it's really exciting for me to see um you know the up-and-coming groups uh that you know coming from the next generation down uh Mm -hmm. it's i i don't see that cycle breaking there
2: are no Yes, Chris says where your smile used to be.
0: Something that is going to sound dated at any point. It's really, uh, I I feel like it transcends time.
1: Oh, well, thanks. It's very sweet. It feels maybe dated to me just in that I hear my younger self and sometimes cringe (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) Plus, I think I've always been a bit of a late bloomer, so I feel like I just. I feel like maybe I don't know just like slightly naive or about things and you can just like hear it in my songs and then I feel like silly or something
0: <laughs> I I noticed a really dramatic shift um, between that release and uh, then the water ocean lake that came a few years later In between those years that I began to see you perform um, at Mm -hmm. house shows and the like.
1: Did you see me play with guitar, probably?
0: I think I may have seen you perform with guitar maybe once.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And then when you uh, began doing your sets, sitting down, largely, or, you know, you, you had your stuff all on a blanket I remember.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh Oh yeah, cuz I played at that one um Microfest.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And uh that was just really psychedelic and uh I don't know, so super atmospheric. I just uh I feel like time stopped during that that set there. And uh it was Really I, I, I think it was clear that you were uh beginning to venture into that territory. Um everything all the songs were very gradual, uh, sort of a slow build mm. and um and a lot of uh just kind of feeling it and seeing where it goes. Um but then you would uh surprise with these uh these very intentional choruses and uh you know thoughtful lyrics and uh that that sort of began to translate uh on that that record the water ocean lake but it was very ambient like electro acoustic uh experience and uh i i i think that i don't know what what was your experience making that record
1: Um, well, I guess kind of stepping back for a moment. So between that first EP and then Water Ocean Lake, I have, like, a whole album of songs I wrote on guitar that I was performing for, like, two years, like, my first two years of being in Olympia. And then they just never really got recorded. And I, yeah, so I kind of have this, like, missing album of guitar like singer songwriter ballads <laughs> so oh, wow. um and then I think I think I just started to feel really limited by guitar I mean I wasn't a very good guitarist I didn't I've never really cared about being a good musician I don't think I I mean like skill wise like um I don't think I've ever been very good at playing an instrument and in school, I was learning about audio recording, and then I started taking music technology classes at Evergreen. And I just was blown away by the potential of making music on the computer or using synthesizers and doing field recordings. And I just started thinking about sound and music in a really different way, and I just have never really even wanted to go back to guitar that much. I Or really to play acoustic instruments i i just i don't know it just hasn't been my interest and so water ocean lake was sort of kind of a this early exploration for me of what i wanted my music to be like
0: yeah it was very like music concrete as opposed to the sort of uh, traditional pop group lineup or like the rock band and uh Mm -hmm. i yeah i was curious how you got into that that sort of sound because it's such a stark difference but the um the constant is your main instrument which is your voice Was that a solo effort?
1: Oh, the Ocean Lake album. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was just all stuff I made when I was in school. My friend Taylor Newcomb had helped me record some stuff because um, Evergreen has a really amazing, like, analog studio with like a sixteen-track API board and there's like a two-inch tape machine in there, and a lot of that stuff was recorded straight to two-inch tape.
0: So when did you take your show on the road for the first time?
1: Well, the first tour I did was actually, I was still playing guitar and I was taken on the road by my friend Shelby Turner and he had booked just like a West Coast tour and he really helped me in so many ways, just like having the confidence and just like showing me the ropes, you know, of like being on tour and it was yeah a really beautiful and valuable experience and then in 2012 when Speak From Your Heart came out then I did like a two and a half month tour with my sibling Aseneth came on the road with me and we were a duo and we like went around the whole U.S. and played like 53 shows or something. (laughs)
0: it's really cool to see siblings collaborate
1: yeah it was it was fun to do that with them it was hard too, you know conflicts and stuff came up but I feel like that tour was really essential for kind of our our close bond now like I think if we hadn't done that we wouldn't have been able to work through some of the hard things that ended up coming up on the road (laughs) but it was also beautiful just like traveling and playing music together too of course but
0: what got you into songwriting? Like, um, when, when did you feel the that you had something to sing about?
1: Well, I started just writing songs in middle school. I just always have had melodies and lyrics come to me. I mean, I don't feel like I necessarily always have something really important to say, and I don't think that that should have to be a requirement for making music and I don't know I just started writing because these melodies kept coming to me and I had to do something with them
0: <laughs> what were the melodies uh the sorts of sounds in, in music that you were drawn to growing up
1: well my dad is Peruvian and um I grew up listening to a lot of Peruvian folk music like I there's this one album, Una Ramos, the Kenna player, and I remember always listening to this tape of like the Kenna playing all these beautiful Peruvian folk melodies and
0: what is that instrument?
1: It's like a a bigger wooden flute and it's just got the most beautiful haunting sound to me and um I don't know, I think my dad was always really into playing the Peruvian folk music he's um his ancestry is Quechua so I think he was just always like trying to feel connected to his indigenous roots and he always wanted to try and pass that on to us to like have a deep appreciation for our ancestry um I think that's probably the biggest early thing that shaped my music experience was like always listening to the Peruvian folk songs and then you know growing up and like I was like in a kids choir and we like sang the Beatles and the Beach Boys and um you know my parents would take me to folk life in Seattle cuz I grew up in North Seattle. Right. Just always been around music and my parents always encouraged me to listen and be a part of music and I sang in choir a lot. <laughs>
0: So do you think the Peruvian folk is still uh, a part of the, the backbone of, of what you do?
1: I think it's between that. Maybe also my dad listened to a lot of Sp- like Spanish ballad guys, like this guy, Rafael. Um, I love Rafael. really like amazing cheesy, but like deeply beautiful, passionate <laughs> Spanish ballads. I think might be my other big, shaper of my songs that maybe only someone who really listened to my music a lot would know is probably that I was always obsessed with Mr. Rogers and he's an amazing songwriter and I just love the way he was able to write just really poignant songs about like child emotions and feelings and the melodies are all beautiful and so moving and he also just like has all these like crazy jazz chords like (laughs) kind of just and the vibraphone I've always been really drawn to vibraphone
2: Mm.
0: that's cool yeah I can definitely see that that influence coming through um sort of in the I I think uh one thing in common is the sort of uh very crystal clear delivery of of the words you know he's looking at you in the eye when he sings and um yeah I kind of hear that in your voice as well it's very direct and and careful
1: yeah just the idea of being direct when trying to communicate emotions and a lot of my songs do end up being about communicating emotions so
0: like speak from your heart
1: yeah I mean for
0: example so that was that was the uh bicycle records release initially mm-hmm. y- you got some legs from it but you you referred to the following album as your debut record
1: well I mean I didn't necessarily it was kind of that's sort of what happened when I worked with this like bigger label on that next album on all around us was they called it the debut because they could do that. <laughs> I don't really know why. I don't know why it happens that way, but they were just like, okay, this is your debut.
0: That was on Jag Jaguar. And you had, you had recorded that before you had a record deal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I know that you worked with, uh with Alex Summers, Um, Mm -hmm. so he was a producer from America, living in Iceland, Mm -hmm. and you wanted to go record that album over there. How did that transpire?
1: Well, he had just kind of emailed me out of the blue, and I was excited about that. I had never worked with someone who was like a producer, you know?
0: Iceland itself had something to do with the sound of that record
2: um it's
1: hard I think people like to attach like geographic mystery to stuff and it could be part of it I mean also Alex like lived in Iceland for like 10 years so I feel like he has like a lot of that kind of energy of like you know like he was dating you know the Singer from Sigaros, Yonzi, and was like, I think that he's just drawn to certain sounds that definitely came into that album from his kind of like repertoire of, you know, love of sound. And, and then I was coming from my world, and it was sort of like a meeting in the middle of like my music, but like with this outside influence of him being a part of it. Everything else I've worked on has been like work on it a little bit and then there's like months in between and then you go back and you work on it more and then you have to take such a big break from it and I think there is something really special about having just like a short focused amount of time and you're just committed to finishing something because it's like I don't want to take a break from this but you know of course there's things in life that you can't avoid like there's work and school and all these things that come in between but yeah that was just a really special time that I had the yeah really special opportunity to get to do that
0: yeah and then and then they did another one with you after that yeah
1: that one's more confusing to me because I kind of felt like their hearts were in the first one but I I didn't really feel like their heart their hearts weren't really in putting out the second one I almost felt like it was like a weird breakup thing where like they didn't want to like break up with me but then they like you know still put the album out but then didn't like put enough like love and effort into it and so it just like really fell flat and like now I'm just like in deeper debt to them <laughs> so it's just weird
0: oh man so that's yeah call it love and I, I I'm surprised that it uh, that it didn't take off or that they didn't uh, put more put more love into it as you say
2: Baby, I gotta don't need you like I did anything the pieces what if tears and love could make you afraid and think about slitting up can't you do the duration
1: I've really shied away from having much low end in a lot of my music and it's hard for me there's something about my ears where I I just don't I feel like a lot of the low frequencies really cloud out things I want to hear so I often just like don't go for it I'm like it's taking up too much space in the mix so I like like things to be more trebly or like mid-centric you know and so with that album I was really trying to push myself to be like no I'm gonna embrace these like low bass and like low drum sounds and like really have it i don't know just be a part of it and i don't know i i have mixed feelings about that album i feel like it it um it kind of just i was like in a big pop phase for a moment and then kind of wrote a bunch of these songs when i was in this pop moment and
0: hey, I don't that, know. that's great you know i didn't i didn't ever notice that the bass wasn't there in your music until I heard that record. And I was like, whoa, that's different. <laughs> it's a, I feel like it's a nice compliment to um, to the higher frequencies that you normally dwell on. Um, definitely. Thanks. Yeah, definitely felt like another departure. Um, but um, I, I think it's an experiment that worked really well. And I, yeah, I, I hope that the rest of those copies of that album get snatched up (laughs) (laughs)
1: they'll probably just like get thrown away at some point (laughs) It's like sitting in a warehouse in bloomington
0: indiana i've been in that warehouse (laughs) oh cool yeah
1: yeah i've never been there even i always wanted to go just because everyone from when i was on that label that everybody was like you gotta go I was uh, like, well, invite me to play a show or something. I'll totally go.
0: Right, yeah.
1: I usually don't travel unless touring is a part of it, just because I can't afford to do so otherwise.
0: So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, It's you, you kind of got to have a reason sometimes.
1: Yeah, I think tour is a really fun reason to travel. So.
0: It's great, yeah. There's so many places that you probably wouldn't have seen otherwise.
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: And you know, you you make you make enough to get by. Uh, if if that uh-huh. if you're lucky enough <laughs> for that to happen, then that's you know icing on the cake.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: But I feel like I mean you know, sleeping on strangers' floors or couches or whatever. Um, we're we're not talking about uh, you know, like tour bus um (laughs) with a hot tub in the back or anything
1: no though okay so when i was alone touring in europe um in 2015 Mm -hmm. i just did like kind of a short solo european tour and it was after all around us had come out and there's this band called sunlux and they had a tour bus and i got to Like, be on their tour bus for like three or four days with them. Mm -hmm. And it was crazy. Like, it was like the only time I've ever been on a tour bus, and you know, where you like sleep and they like drive you to the next city. And it just was so trippy. And I just couldn't, I don't know, I just couldn't believe that, like, wow, I can't believe people get to do this kind of touring. It's like such a game changer. You like wake up in the new city, you like have the whole day to just like hang out and like walk around and explore. And then, then you like have a luxurious amount of time before playing the show instead of like, you know, you're like driving 14 hours or something <laughs> like barely get to the show in time or something. I don't know. It was really trippy and it was really fun. I mean, that was a those guys are sweet and it was fun to have at least that one like, you know, three day experience of being on a tour bus.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you have any downtime in Europe?
1: Um, A little bit. Not too much. I feel like a lot of, a lot of times when I'm traveling with touring, I just don't have days off. Mm-hmm. Though on the European tour I did in 2017, um, I was there with my friends Joel and Natalie, and we and Justin, and we took some days off at the end, and we were in Lisbon in Portugal. Oh, and that wow. was really fun.
0: Yeah. What What's going on in Lisbon?
1: It's just like a beautiful old city and we just walked around a lot. It was like near Christmas time, so everything was really Christmassy. Um there's these castles nearby, like an hour train ride away in a place called Sintra, and we traveled there and went to I think the castle is like uh maybe in that movie Pan's Labyrinth.
0: Okay. But
1: we went there and that was yeah definitely such a highlight of the trip.
0: Wow. So after after Call It Love comes out, mm-hmm. then you decide it's time to go back to school.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I had found out that I was getting dropped from Jag and that my booking agent had dropped me just because I wasn't making any, making anyone any money, and I kind of felt like it was coming. And Mm. so I got dropped and I was sad and I was thinking like, well, what am I going to do right now? And I had always wanted to go to grad school and I thought it would be a really good opportunity to explore some of my more like experimental sound, um, desires. And so I applied to mills and got in and yeah, I applied like really late too. I applied in June and then I started school that august of 2018
0: so you went in with experimental music in mind Mm -hmm. and what what do you like about making experimental music that uh is different from when you're working on pop stuff what what draws you into that
1: um i don't know i guess maybe making pop music feels more tied to capitalism or something or it feels more toward this idea of like i'm supposed to be making a product even though i know it doesn't have to be that way i think maybe just my experience of being on a label and having feeling like i had expectations put on me um i think making more kind of ambient or experimental music i just felt i feel more free like i feel like i'm not trying to do it to have some sort of expectation fulfilled you know i'm just doing something that's interesting and fun for me like I'm not trying to impress anyone with it I'm just like and that feels I don't know just it just feels freeing and not that I you know have to impress people with my pop music or something I don't know I I think I think I just got kind of jaded on making pop music but I think I've come around now after being in school and I'm excited about the idea of making pop music again and have some distance from the music industry now that I just don't care anymore about um trying to like you know put something out and like have people like it like I'm just gonna put music out because I like it and because I want to and not because I care about what anyone else thinks about it
0: right so are, are you still um interested in working with labels or are you gonna more on the on the side of the way things have been going for a lot of artists now and just self-releasing things as soon as they're done
1: Yeah, I mean, I think maybe in a lot of ways we don't need labels anymore. I mean, I think it's really nice to have the support of, like, a group of people at a label. Like, I think that feels good, and Mm -hmm. it's nice to feel like you have community or um, support, yeah, when putting something out, because, I mean, like a lot of other artists, I don't think of myself as being, like, very business minded I feel like I have enough business sense to like not always get myself fucked over but I do sometimes Mm -hmm. (laughs) I get I make mistakes and don't know what I'm doing but um yeah I don't know I think I'll probably just self-release my new stuff unless somehow someone was like really excited about putting it out and like had financial support I mean also a big thing is if I'm self-releasing I probably can't afford to like make physical copies of something at this point in time so i if i did work with the label would be probably to have the access to like make a vinyl or make a tape or something
0: yeah yeah it's tricky to do that on your own for sure yeah very much it is nice to have a team behind you
1: yeah it just feels good
0: (laughs) but yeah necessary Mm, arguable yeah -hmm. the last thing that you commercially released was uh the collaboration uh with radio lab and oh yeah is that right
1: yeah that was kind of lingering um with my stuff at the end of my time with jag my friend hannah had gotten me that opportunity and that was actually supposed to come out in 2017 and then i think maybe all the other artists were like being really flaky with getting their songs in or something mm, <laughs> and mm. um because i had yeah turned in my song in like 2017 and then waited a whole nother year before it actually came out so
0: yeah it's a i don't know i was i was pretty stoked to see that you were on the same album as dolly parton among other heavy hitters but that that just takes I the know.
1: cake. I know. That's yeah, very special.
0: Yeah. Did you choose that, or was that was that completely commissioned?
1: Um, I could choose at the time that I chose, there weren't very many amendments chosen yet, and but I really wanted to do the Fourth Amendment, and so I, I got to, yeah, have my pick. I don't think anyone else even wanted to do it, which I is strange. I feel like the Fourth Amendment to me feels really like one of the most important amendments. so
0: Right. It's about like a seizure of personal property
1: yeah and just like the right to privacy from your government basically which you know can be like physical or like i even think about it as like what's going on on the internet and with like the government or corporations like spying and like data mining and
0: right it's
1: it's like yeah it's very creepy and i think we really are giving up a lot of our privacy and there should be more restrictions
0: yeah, you just all you all you do is click that I accept button, and then you're <laughs> you're screwed.
1: I accept. <laughs> you know everything about me.
0: Yeah, I don't think people really think about that. I know. I mean, I know I don't. Not not in the moment. If I'm just trying to. You know. I I just want to get this plug in or something. <laughs> like, what am I signing away?
1: Yeah. I know. I feel like I have a really strange relationship with the internet where I think it's, you know, incredible. It's a resource. Like everything is happening on it. But at the same time, I just like have such a distrust and like I'm just scared of it. Like I just love in person things. Like I don't know if I'm just really like analog, but I'm like, I don't, can I just read a book? (laughs) Can someone (laughs) just like, can someone just call me and we can just talk about stuff or like, can we just meet up and, like, yeah, have a, I don't know, IRL time?
0: <laughs> right, yeah. Gosh, remember before we abbreviated everything? Uh huh, yeah. <laughs> LOL.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I know, um, our mutual friend and your former professor, Ben Kamen. Um,
1: oh Ben.
0: Yeah, he he told me that um, his his mom would always sign her emails L O L Mom. Because <laughs> she thought it meant lots of love.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's so cute. <laughs> I love that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I wanna I wanna explore what um You know, your most recent available work, which um, is just the uh, the performances that you've done um, that are available online. So you've got a a lot of it is very uh, seems to be sensory, a lot of contact microphones and you're wearing this amazing black superhero costume basically, with a bunch of wires coming out of it um, in, in this video that you did for your Masters of Fine Arts final. Yeah. Um, And so all the movements, um, subtle motions that you do with your arms and your body, um, as well as um, other amplified objects like the metal bowls that we were talking about earlier um Mm -hmm. it it's a very it's it's a very mixed media performance that you gave in that in that particular video tell me a little bit about the suit
1: yeah well the suit it's essentially a prototype um i don't like that it looks like a superhero diving costume or something like i i think i was just trying to make something that would work for the performance and in terms of like having wearable electronics it makes a lot of sense to have something that's like tight because you don't you don't want things moving around. You don't want, you know, different uh components touching each other. So like you don't want it to be something loose and flowy, obviously. And so I was like, "Oh, okay, it makes sense to do something with this like kind of tight bodysuit." I had had like an original idea of trying to incorporate more movement or dance into the performance, and then I ended up scrapping some of that because mm. of time. And so the suit is kind of unnecessary for it to be a whole suit because I'm really mostly using, um, there's an accelerometer in each wrist and there's also conductive fabric um, sensors that will touch other conductive fabric sensors on the suit. But the biggest sensors I'm using are really just the two accelerometers. And those are able to, um, depending on where my hands are in space, they are able to affect the mapping um, that I've kind of worked and trained with.
0: And I, I definitely don't know what you're talking about, but <laughs> those, it sounds it sounds amazing. Um, so the suit essentially is not an aesthetic choice; it was purely a utilitarian design.
1: Yeah, it's a utilitarian design and i mean i guess the only benefit of it is that i kind of liked that it has a little bit of a sci-fi look like i'm into sci-fi but um i i don't want it to be that overwhelming with its presence like it shouldn't be the suit shouldn't be like the focal point of the performance like the focal point should be my voice and the electronics and like the sounds and something yeah. like that suit so, i think kind of takes up too much space but I mean, it's really, like I said, it's kind of a a prototype or like an idea of somewhere to start. And then I'm trying to think of how I could wear electronics in a way that would look more aesthetically pleasing or like aesthetically fit the vibe, what I'm trying to do.
0: Right. Something that's not overwhelming or, or distracting. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So what. you you said you're working on a few more albums simultaneously Mm -hmm. Is, is this all further solo work at this point
1: yeah i mean the one of the albums is kind of a collection of my fixed media work from my time at mills and then another album is one i've been working on kind of the last four years and that one is actually a lot more collaborative with my partner joel he helped write um, at least half of the songs on it and we've played a lot of them live together too and it's a really special album to me i am just trying to finish mixing it now
0: and what about there there's another um there's another video that you released um, in which you're painting a piece of glass in front of your face while you're singing
2: mm-hmm. then you. Wow. You.
0: I'm just curious what exactly we're hearing that performance because it definitely seems like uh, the sound is re- reacting to the paint dripping on the glass whenever you do a brush stroke and um, and I'm just wondering about how how composed that piece was and what what's going on behind the scenes.
2: <laughs>
1: um, well, There's also, yeah, I just have a contact mic on that piece of, it's actually a piece of Lexan, which is like a really hard piece of plastic. Um, And yeah, I just have basically a contact mic as a trigger for sound. And then I have a max patch where I have some just different synthesis um, kind of loops that are triggered by me touching the glass with the paintbrush, and then there's also just like kind of like a random um, synthesis, little like bubbles and swirls, kind of sounds that are coming out. That it's just happening randomly, and so I think sometimes some of the the unpredictableness of when some of these other sounds happen, sometimes just even coincide with what I'm doing with the glass but then some of it is um happening because I'm touching it but some isn't so having a little bit of ambiguity I think can even heighten the you know kind of direct one-to-one relationship of what I'm doing if that makes sense
0: yeah it's kind of like you you leave it you, you leave yourself the possibility of being surprised yourself at what yeah. happens
1: yeah which i think is really important and an important part of electronic music i think i think i got even when i was in my pop like phase i just got bored at how predictable and everything was and how like polished and perfect and i like didn't give myself a lot of room for the unexpected and for the unknown and i i think that's actually a really crucial part of performing electronic music and i'm trying to really be thinking of that when i'm making my new pieces
0: well i think i got i got a few more things i gotta do uh for school and then we're cleaning up our our backyard because our our buddy mike dixon's coming over today
1: oh my god
0: yeah he said to tell you hello too i was oh yeah
1: say hi yeah
0: Uh, he put out I a couple w- lathe cuts for you. Yeah, a time.
1: I'm I'm trying to get him to put out another one, but I think he's been kind of busy. But hopefully, sometime soon, I'll have yeah. something else coming out with Mike. Love that guy.
0: I'll get a few beers in him and get him to sign something. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll fax it to <laughs> you.
1: Thanks, thanks. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. Well, yeah, have a good rest of your day, and thank you again for wanting to interview me.
0: Oh, yeah, I've been looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Brianna Morella for taking the time to join me today. Also, special thanks to Miles Rizzotti for helping with the editing on this episode. If you liked it and you want to hear more, all of the previous episodes are archived at lowprofilepodcast.com. There you can also find links related to featured artists on this show. And now, the full song, I Don't Belong to You, released by People in a Position to Know.